Hello and welcome back, hopefully, if you've been here before. If not, welcome for the first time to DWeb Decoded, um, the Falcon Foundation for the Decentralized Web's uh, overview and investigation uh, on what's happening in the decentralized web with some of the uh, new players, some of the people who have been around uh, protecting the decentralized web and bringing it forward for some time now, including uh, my guest today, Cindy Cohn. Uh, Cindy is, hello, Cindy <laughs> is Executive Director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation and uh, 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 complete disclosure, uh, used to be my boss for many years. Um, we hosted uh, a podcast that continues in my wake called uh, How to Fix the Internet. Um, which gives you an idea of the kind of things that, that Cindy works on, but not really the depth of it. Um, you have to just sit there while I read the list of all the amazing things you've done, Cindy. So Cindy <laughs> um, was the lead lawyer in some of the really seminal uh, fights for uh, rights that I think everybody kind of relies on now in the digital space, especially people in the Web3 and crypto. Um, from 2000 to 2015, uh, Cindy was uh, EFF's legal director. That means she was around defending literally strong cryptography from its uh, government controls, some of the major uh, censorship um, uh, um, battles, the rise of the dot-coms, um, uh, control... Um, uh, I can't really... <laughs> like, there's so much to talk about here. I mean, so... To, to give a context for me, and then I will shut up, um, I joined EFF in 2005 where we were sort of deep in cryptography fighting for the right for people to use encryption in a time when not many people were, not enough people were. And then I watched you lead the organization to really take on the battle against government surveillance. So, and then since then, there have been a, a million other fires that EFF has, has fought. So, um, how do you decide, how does EFF decide what to tackle when your kind of briefing is like, oh yeah, just protect the internet and protect all of digital rights? How did you go, okay, we're going to do government surveillance now? I mean, it's an art, not a science, right? We, 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 it really depends on whether there's a an issue where we think we have the right tools. You know, EFF is largely lawyers. We have some technologists now too, and we build tech and we have activists. But you know, is are our tools the right tools for this problem? Um, is it the kind of fight that if we pick the right fight, we can help a lot of people? as opposed to individual kinds of things. Um, is it something we know that a lot of other people don't know? Um, we don't like to participate and just be a me too along with everybody else. I mean, we'll occasionally do that to show solidarity with groups, but really we feel like when people give us money, they want us to be where other people aren't and to right. carve out space where, you know, the market's not going to protect them. The mainstream kind of organizations that don't have deep technical knowledge don't understand it yet. Those kinds of things. 
you know, encryption was the first one of those when we were talking about encryption. Honestly, it started in 1994. Right. Uh, the free up encryption from technology. We were talking, this is before the World Wide Web. We were talking about this like future that none of the people in the courts or in the public debates that we were talking with really understood what the hell we were talking about. You know, I'm from the future. I'm here to confuse you was what <laughs> I felt like some of my presentations were. Um, and so government surveillance you know, like we wanted encryption so that people could have a space to have a private conversation. And in the early internet, the governments of the world, and especially the US governments, were really one of the, in your threat model, one of the people you wanted to protect them from. So when we discovered that the NSA was effectively tapping into the internet backbone and spying on all the traffic that went by, which was largely unencrypted at that time, um, it was a natural thing for yeah. us to do if you care about the value of having a private conversation, being able to act in a way where you're not being watched all the time. You have to talk about government surveillance. So it was something that I remember my first day as like a sort of young, young activist. Um, in the first couple of weeks, I think we had a meeting with the developers of a thing called GNU Radio. Mm -hmm. And GNU, so this was 2005, GNU Radio, for those not following, <laughs> it was one of the first um, programmable radios, right? So up until then, a radio just did one thing, and this thing could do it all. And mm -hmm. these are the things that are in technology all over. But what was interesting, it was, it was totally new, and you and the rest of the lawyers were sitting there going, okay, what are the ramifications for this 10 years down the line? Mm -hmm. And I found that fascinating because it was a combination of going, well, we have to anticipate this, but partly because that's where we'll be in 10 years' time, and partly because law, court, court cases and law cases take that amount of time. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you know, the NSA surveillance stuff, like you started it back then, it's still going on. It's still going on. In I mean, is there is there progress in Congress right now? There's stuff going on in Congress. There's stuff going on in the courts. Um, yep. it, it, it's a long term battle. All of these things. I mean, one of the FFs, you know, the National Security Agency has never had their powers cut back. They've only pretty much ever had them increased, except for maybe three or four times. And you know, one of those was the church committee and the creation of the secret FISA court, which was, you know, before my time. But since then, two or three of them have been EFF right. led or joined actions. And, um, and yes, there is one right now, section 702 of the FISA amendments act, which is the congressional authority to do this kind of mass spying has to be renewed by Congress by the end of the year, or it theoretically expires. Um, and we are hot and heavy in Congress right now trying to make, if it, we'd like to, it to expire entirely, but we'd also like to see like the FBI has to has a warrant to get access to this information. Like it, it, it shouldn't be an end run around the fourth amendment for the FBI, which is the domestic law enforcement. So um, we've got a, a package of reforms we're working on. I, you know, I, I we'll see what Congress does. Um, they are very good at kicking problems down the road. Um, and so there, there is a good chance that that's what will happen with this one, which I think is would be a terrible outcome.
I think it's interesting, and I guess we're going into what what EFF also just for, for people to know has all of this funny kind of like insider language, and one of them is for at least in my English year was inside baseball, where yeah. people go, people won't know about that. That's the insight. In fact, that term is in itself inside baseball. But yeah. I, I think one of, the thing, <laughs> one of the things that's, that is fascinating being close to it is the outside world. Most people only see the EFF doing something or, 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 or and many of the other organizations like Fight for the Future and the Creative Commons, mm-hmm. when there's a when there's a big victory or a, a, you know, we have 24 hours to save the internet. And I think people sometimes that happens because that's the story that gets propagated, right? There are a million press releases that don't say that, that people don't get to hear about. Um, But I think that distorts what, how people think, this stuff progresses like if there was one thing you wanted people to know past those headlines um about how you actually do either fend off attacks against um uh, good uses of technology or promote them what do you think it would be like what what is the thing that eff does that people don't know about well i think that in general we're just we're there we have a body of knowledge and a body of smart people who are tracking this so that when I find that change doesn't happen, doesn't happen, doesn't happen, and then a moment, and you can make big change. But if you're not ready, if you don't have people who are ready, you haven't thought about what you want to have happen in those moments, you haven't put in the work so you have the relationships so that when something happens... um, you know, when, when Apple stood up because it wanted to, uh, it didn't want the, the government to force it to crack the encryption on an iPhone a few years ago, we got a call from Apple right. early on, like before anybody knew about this and we had to keep it quiet and they were still under a gag order, but they were like, something's coming. It's about encryption. We know you guys know about encryption. We want you to be ready because we're going to need. <laughs> Do you, you have this. anything on this that, like, you know, that yeah. maybe you have you ever heard about out, encryption right? yeah. and why encryption. am I ma- right? And so that that's like twenty years in the making, right? Like, and then that moment happened. We were able to help Apple do the right thing, and lots of people were protected on into the future. And now Apple actually even encrypts cloud backups and other things like that. That it's all the years that you don't hear about us that yeah. we're able to continue to thrive and grow and do the things behind the scenes that make those moments happen. They're not they're not it's not like a TV show where like, you know, you you, you start and by the third act, you know, it's done and then it's all, you know, you're all tied so, up in an hour. Sometimes it's like a TV show, right? Like I remember <laughs> I remember um I mean the example I was gonna use of that preparation, right, is Edward Snowden. Yes. So um you well, know, yeah. suddenly the world paid attention to it, but like that moment was prepared for by, oh, yeah. you know, suddenly we had all this material and people going, wow, do you think this is true? And we're going, oh boy, is it true? Like we have, yeah. you know, court testimony and so forth. Yeah, um, no. And the, you know, the first message I got from, from Mr. Snowden when, you know, when I got a message from him through his lawyers was, um, so do you have standing yet? So what right. does that tell you? Well, standing is a legal doctrine that is, um, 
one of the thresholds to bringing a lawsuit that says that you've got enough evidence that something actually happened and happened to you such that you can bring a lawsuit. So it's a legal doctrine. So in that, do you have standing yet? I realized that Mr. Snowden had been watching us for a long time, that what he was doing was to try to support us. And we had no idea. I mean, we didn't, you know, like, you know, yeah. we didn't know. So yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it may be actually like a TV show that there's a whole lot of stuff you don't <laughs> see before the actual right. camera turns on. <laughs> right. There are, there are occasional, and of course, the, going back to this idea is this is the things people see and crystallize a moment. I mean, going back a hundred years now, right? Like, so one of the things that was the stuff that I worked on was digital rights management and how bad that was, is, yep. continues to be. And it's yep. a terrible, it's a very hard, you know, a drum to bang, right? Because yep. people like, you know, what, I, if, if DRM is working the way that people want it, the people who like DRM want it to work, it's invisible and people just mm -hmm. go, what's the point? And then there was a moment with a thing called um, the Sony uh, uh, CD rootkit yeah, the rootkit, yeah. Right. And that was, look it up. We'll put a link in Wikipedia. But it was that moment where people just went, wait, they're doing what? Yeah. They're doing like, like when I put like this, you know, basically music into my computer, it takes over my computer and watches everything I'm doing. And it's mm -hmm. Sony and I paid them for that. And it was, that was like this crystallizing moment that ended up with like Steve Jobs saying he didn't like DRM and a whole, a whole sea change in, in how people thought about it in music. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, suddenly the press is ringing you and, and like you're, you're giving all of these quotes and things and it's very exciting, but you sit there in those moments going, Thank God I've been researching this for like 20 years. Yeah. So, yeah. so bringing this sort of back, like what are the things that – so, you know, this is D-Web Decoded. Mm -hmm. uh, all of the time I was at EFF, we were thinking about decentralization and re-decentralization. Um, Maybe can you talk a little bit about like where that fits into kind of if EFF has a philosophy of how to fix the internet or what's good about the internet? Where does decentralized technology kind of fit into that? I mean, I think it fits in in a couple places. Um, you know, first of all, it's user control, right? You're taking the control of somebody's experience. It may not be all the way to user, but it's a lot closer to user. It's a it's it's a way that you're taking power and putting it closer to the edges of the experience. And you know, the original story of the internet is that that's that's what the internet was for. It was so you know. A bomb couldn't take out an entire infrastructure of communications. I mean, that's the kind of Defense Department version of the right, internet. Right, we right, all right, know right. that these are stories are a bit um, overblown or apocryphal, but but taking centers of power and putting them closer to the actual users is something that is kind of core to EFF. You know, I used to say, you know, when you go online, your rights go with you, right? That it's all about you, the center piece of this, or you or your community. It doesn't have to be individualistic, um, but it's not centralized power. Um, I think that's one, one piece of EFF's threat that, that where decentralization has always been kind of the underlying philosophy behind a lot of user empowerment. And then I think, you know, 
starting, gosh, it was a few years ago now, probably, um, I don't know, closer to eight or nine years ago, we started realizing that a lot of the free speech and privacy battles that we were fighting to try to help protect people, that, that, that rights part of your rights go with you, was, were being negatively impacted by the fact that we had centralization. We had the rise of a few tech giants, um, and many of them had a privacy invasive business model, the surveillance business model, which is the why Google is so rich and why Facebook is so rich, um, that that model was hostile to users' interests and that we probably couldn't get at it by just kind of getting at it directly, that we needed to really, if we were going to have headway on free speech and privacy issues, we had to have decentralization be central to, to our strategy because yeah. the, you know, the answer, I would say this, you know, the answer to a bad dictator isn't to pound on the dictator and try to make him a nicer dictator, right? The answer is to Or a good of, dictator, right? Yeah, like, even a good yeah. dictator, right? You know, benevolent dictatorship is very efficient, blah, blah, blah. I think that the, the point is like, like, there's a lot of people who are upset about the rise of the tech giants who really just wanted to pound on Mark Zuckerberg for not being a nicer person. Or now we're all living in this time where we're realizing exactly how bad a person Elon Musk can be. Um, but to me, that's like all power to you. And I certainly do my share of grousing about the individual men and their positions. But like, that isn't the problem. The problem isn't that the men in charge are not nicer men or better men or even not men at all. The problem right. is that there's one or two people in charge. Right. It's like it, it, it has this feeling of a codependent relationship where you're sort of like going, I can change them, you know, yeah. um, whether you're whether you're the government or an individual user, you just go actually, how about we just kind of break? I, again, the other analogy is I was thinking about this conversation and I wanted to talk about um, something that was definitely sort of internal at EFF, um, which was that progress, right? I think it was longer than eight years ago. I mean, I remember in like 2007, yeah. 2008, we were You're like, probably right. oh, this is not going the right way. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think that, that there's this area, there was this period of bargaining, right? And there still is where right. you're sort of going, okay, Actually, the big actor is not the government right now. It's still, it's still the government, but like, you know, Facebook or whoever has this power to do good and bad. So we will target them, right? Mm -hmm. We will challenge them on what they're doing. Um, and, and that seemed to be like the bargaining phase, right? Of, mm -hmm. of, of the grief of, of the <laughs> internet. And it's, I mean, it's still very powerful. Like I feel like one of the really powerful things that people don't recognize at EFF was uh, who has your back, yeah. right? Um, and again, I will just brief people because again, I feel like it's, you know, inside baseball in many ways. It, uh, who has your back was for many years, a project where EFF would do a kind of ranking of tech companies they would have little tick boxes like do if um the government comes with a subpoena to this company do they fight back or do they have a process a documented process stuff like that and um uh, people people would often quiz me about that uh, or people would write about it and go i can't believe that like you said google was good <laughs> and and we go but and we go, well, why did we say Google is good? Said, well, you gave it three stars. Right. You go, 
out of five, and the other two were like, you know, <laughs> awful things that it does. Um, but I knew the strategy, and I explained to people on a one-by-one. So maybe you can explain that, because I see that as like the perfect indication of that bargaining. How do, yeah. you, how do you live? How do you make things better or protect things from getting worse in a centralized system? Yeah, I mean, you, you you have to do both, right? You have to work to make the centralized system better, even as you work to make sure that it isn't the only game in town. Um, but yeah, so the who has your back idea um, was really, uh, I mean, I, it always cracks me up because we gave the companies gold stars if they did certain things with standing with their users. And I used to have like CEOs of really gigantic companies calling me and wanting gold stars, which just felt very strange from the position of a tiny little nonprofit. Um, and, and sort of going, look, if we do this, right. do we get another star? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, yeah. so, um, so, but, but really the thing that we harnessed with who has your back wasn't EFF's decision-making. It was trying to find the best in class among these companies and challenge all the other companies to rise the to occasion. Do better. Right. Everything that we put in the who has your back, especially in the first years, was something that somebody was doing. So Google was um, early on in doing transparency reports where they would give an annual report, or I think it was quarterly now, of all the times that they get requests from governments around the world for information about you and users about you. We thought the world would be better if all the companies had to do that. So we gave Google a gold star and challenged all the other companies because they weren't going to get a gold star if they didn't do it. Same with letting you know if law enforcement shows up and wants information about you and you're a customer of the service. That was something actually Facebook did early on back when they were Facebook. And we gave the gold star in order to challenge everybody to do it. And and lo and behold, it worked. Like it turns out peer pressure is a really powerful thing and competitive pressure is really powerful. And it's you know more powerful than a little nonprofit in the mission yeah. shaming you. So we harnessed that power and we got a race to the top among all of those kinds of things. That did mean sometimes we had to say nice things about the companies, but millions of people got more protection for it. Um, so I'm going to use all the tools. I mean, like I won't use, you know, there are some tools I wouldn't use, but I'm not afraid. You're not going to gonna hack them. You're I'm, not going to well, take advantage you know, I, of EFF's mighty DEFCON influence. To kind of, as no, I okay. say, you, you shouldn't violate people's privacy to demonstrate that people's privacy can be violated. That right. is a, that's a pretty basic, easy rule, but, but harnessing the powers of competition and how these companies like look towards each other to try to make everything better for other people is like, I think completely fair game. It's, and it's a this. huge, it's a huge magnifier. I think if you go back and, 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 and look at those, I think that the, the indicator from the outside world is, is it would go Facebook, three stars, blah, blah, Google. And then at the bottom, it would have, some far smaller organization that we knew was doing amazing things and like was demonstrating that that was possible. Yeah. Right. And they would be at the bottom and they would get five stars and that would drive these giants crazy because mm -hmm. they were like, who's this podunk like potential competitor that's going to eat our lunch. Right. Yep. Um, coming up, like you have to like make sure that they're not, they're not at the top of the list. Right. And I, I always sort of like laughed at like the, the idea that we were like putting putting these companies in a good light when, you know, there were there were like these small companies that were really trying to do the right thing. Yep. 
And ultimately that, you know, you say good dictator, bad dictator, that was kind of the model. Like Mm -hmm. these people claim you can't do this. You can do this, but maybe you can't do this and be as big as, as, as those companies are. So, so at the same time that happened, the other big success story for me was Let's Encrypt. Mm. Um, Yeah. Huge. And Let's Encrypt wasn't just EFF. We were a small part of like a sort of, I remember when it was it Project Chocolate was it Project called? Chocolate yeah that's what they called that's what the text called it right so it was very under it was very, it, people had to quietly kind of pull it together um, can you explain what Let's Encrypt is and, and what and what it did sure I mean this is um, honestly um, Let's Encrypt was a thing that EFF and a bunch of a bunch of other organizations, Alex Halderman at the University of Michigan, some folks at Mozilla were starting to think about, which is how do we, you know, as I mentioned, the, eight, the, the, the NSA is sitting on the networking and watching all the traffic that goes through that is not encrypted. And that was one of the ways that they were spying on everybody. That's because the underlying technology called certificate authorities in... Um, before Let's Encrypt happened was something that you had to buy. It was it was expensive. It was hard to do. If you had a website and you wanted to protect your users and make sure that your users were actually coming to you and not a fake site when they were, were transiting the internet, you had to pay a lot of money and organize a thing uh, and keep it updated and all of those things. And so the idea of Let's Encrypt was let's make certificate authorities like encrypting the web traffic dead easy and free and see what kind of uptake we get. So um, this was something that we were putting together before Snowden. After Snowden, people may remember there was one of those slides that had, you know, uh, Danny, you had a shirt that said this, right? That that encrypted here, encrypted here, but in between it wasn't encrypted with a little smiley face. I dressed up as that for Halloween. I dressed up as a giant post-it note and my, because there was a smiley face in the middle of it where they went, oh, this is where we will tapple the communications. And my head poked out of the (laughs) 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 the smiley face. But yes, that was. Yes. So that was, um, so, so the idea of let's encrypt was to make that smile a frown from the NSA's perspective by encrypting all the traffic in between the servers. And um, we, the reason it had to be so quiet is that there was a business that people had doing right. that. And we were going to try to, you know, uh, we were the people. Uh, Commoditizing you, that. Yeah. Or, yeah giving just you free coffee free, as yeah. opposed to the $5 coffee that you might buy. And um, and so we, we launched it and um, it's a consortium. It's run by uh, um, the, oh my gosh, internet. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's run, it's, sorry. Uh, it's a consortium. It's got a lot of companies involved now. And I think we've encrypted like 90% of web right. traffic now, like way and, over a huge amount of web traffic is is done. And this is a way where, this was a situation in which rather than deploying lawyers or deploying activists, we deployed a technology and basically made the world you know, much safer. EFF runs one of the Things something called CertBot, which is one of the things that you can use on your website uh, to 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 be part of the Let's Encrypt network. So this is one of the examples I always use in the Web three kind of crypto space to kind of describe how you execute change through technology, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the, the that was something that was built 
that gave you something that up until that point we used to have to like argue either in a sort of like ideological or aspirational way where we go wouldn't it be great if everything was encrypted and then the nsa wouldn't spy on everybody and then uh this team built um a thing which was free and rather than have to go and fill a million bureaucratic forms you ran you ran a script and it it just went yep it's all encrypted now and uh and that just went from you know tiny percentage of the world's traffic web traffic was invulnerable to nsa collection to 90% of the web traffic yeah. and it's not just technical, right? Like if if oh, yeah. if cryptography had been illegal, then that wouldn't have been possible, right? Mm-hmm. If the companies and others hadn't had had really fought against that, I think they yeah. could have killed it. Um, and there was a lot of negotiating with people and saying, look. So, for instance, you had to for Let's Encrypt to work, you had to get that certificate into the browsers. The browsers had to recognize that Let's Encrypt was a, a legit organization, which mm-hmm. meant you had to go to them and you had to like, you know, say, hey, we, you know, we're not, we're the EFF or, you know, we're, we're these people, we, you know, we're a legitimate, we're a legitimate project. Um, uh, and yeah, bang, right? Like you transform billions of people's lives and it's a, and the fact that no one notices it is 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 good, right? Yeah. Is a sign that it's it's worked well. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a ISRG, the Internet Security Research Group, is the consortium that does it. But yeah, I mean, this idea that you need to encrypt in between your servers was something that we had been pounding on Google to do for a very long time. And it was, they were like, well, we'd like to do it, but it's not on the top of our list. And no one else is doing it. So like, does people, do people really care? And then when Snowden leaks came out suddenly, and we had, let's encrypt pretty close to ready. I don't remember the exact timing, but we were not far apart. Suddenly it popped to the top of their list um, and, and they were on board for it. And, and, um, and so, so these is, you know, how this stuff interacts, like we were working and working and working and suddenly a moment comes, we're able to seize the moment and, you know, play off and, and, and make something come up and make it real in a way where it might not have happened without that Snowden moment. And I think also this thing of giving, preparing this material, preparing these talking points, preparing kind of ammunition, mm-hmm. uh, probably the wrong phrase, but like preparing, <laughs> preparing useful things, right? Um, that people within companies oh, yeah. and institutions and governments who get it um, are able to use internally. Like Absolutely. I knew that there was a faction, there was a faction in Google and Facebook who yep. were really worried about this, yep. really worried about government surveillance and like, you know, how could they argue with a bunch of people we're talking about, you know, daily users and speed of connections and like feeding those people, not directly, but just something that they could read and reuse meant that they could make arguments in the boardroom. Um, yep. And that's, that's another. So, okay. So bringing this back. <laughs> so if you are lobbying or whatever, like if you are having a conversation now with the people building the decentralized web, right? Mm-hmm. Building all of these fantastic tools um, 
there's dozens out there. The rest of the time I'm interviewing those people. What is that conversation? You, you, it's like the GNU radio meeting, right? It's like meeting with the, the, the secret faction at a company that wants to do the right thing. What would you say to them? What should they be doing and thinking about? What questions do you have for them? Oh, man, that's such a good question. I mean, I think... I, I, I think, first of all, you should look at the fights that need to be fought in order to make your way clear and start helping EFF and other organizations that are doing that. And I actually think people need to think a little more broadly than just crypto and the blockchain. And, and I'm thinking specifically about the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act right. um, and other, because we want a decentralized world that is interoperable with the current world, if we really want people to be able to make make these shifts, right. um, and think about those kinds of what are the obstacles, and begin to invest in trying to help make it so that they don't end up being obstacles um, when you get to that part. There's tech building the right tech is really important, but getting the right tech supported by law and policy and people is um, one of the things that's really important. And, and, and it might be that we can't do it right away, but we want to be ready. And we want to be ready, you know, as someone who's been watching this, we want to be ready with all the good stories, all the right. ways in which this technology helps people. It's very important in the broader public debate, whether we're talking to you know people in black robes or judges or Congress or regulators or just even ordinary people, that we have a, a, a big list of stories that are positive, good. How is this making life better for people? And honestly, bonus points if it's making people things better for people who aren't you. Um, yeah. Who, who, who are marginalized, maybe, who are different or, or who are, you know, uh, like kind of helping people. Um, and I, I mean you just in terms of like sometimes programmers, well, not you personally, but that sometimes people who have tech skills are really focused on the things that make people with tech skills life better. And I think one of the things that we, I will tell you is very helpful all the way from encryption, right? We started when we freed up encryption, I went in front of a federal judge here in San Francisco and I talked about human rights. I talked about science. I talked about math. I talked about why the constitutional values of free speech ought to be applied to this weird new world that you're not even living in yet, but you're going to be living in in 10 years and why we needed to set up the, you know, I joke sometimes that EFF are the plumbers of freedom, right? We, we needed to get this clog out of the way so that the water could flow freely so that innovation and people could thrive. And so I think for the decentralization community, making sure that you're front loading those stories and that they're real. They're not like, Oh, I thought of a way that this could help people, but you're actually right. talking to the people you want to help and building something that they actually need and want. That's the other kind of traditional tech problem is a technologist sitting in their own little room, imagining what it's like to be a person in a foreign country facing repression and building a thing that they would want if they were that person. Um, that's like not nearly so helpful to that person as actually going and asking them what they need and prioritizing what they need. If that's, if that's the role you want to serve. And so yeah. I think that, I think that, 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 thinking through those kinds of things, both on the, how could it go wrong and who am I helping and how do I lift up their stories and really have an honest story to tell about why it's useful. I'll give you another example. When we went to the Supreme court to try to free up peer to peer file sharing, 
right? The, 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 the copyright owners didn't like peer-to-peer file sharing. We took a case called Grokster up to the Supreme Court. Uh, we did not win, but we also did not lose. Uh, it was a weird situation. But we had a passel of stories about why peer-to-peer file sharing, first of all, was not created to facilitate infringement and wasn't had many, many uses that were not the ones facilitating infringement. We didn't pretend like people weren't infringing using peer-to-peer right. flash sharing. They absolutely were. But that the, there's a baby in that bathwater and that we right. can't throw out the bathwater. And I think for decentralization, a lot of the bad news in the cryptocurrency side is making people want to throw out the bathwater in a way that the community really needs to lift up the babies and yeah. um, and help help make sure that you can't talk about one without talking about the other. Cause I think about it that way, but I don't know that that's, you know, the very high profile story on the other side that is like, Oh, decentralized means crypto means, of the infopocalypse kind of yeah, it means the, Ponzi schemes and, and all of that kind of thing. And so I think that for people in this community, the answer is to not just, attack the bad story it's to lift up the good stories mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and make them make them happen mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. i think that um i think it's i mean this this is a key thing of what we we, we try to do at, at fftw and the falcon oh, yeah. foundation right is go out and not and you know genuinely because we're going okay there is a there is a natural path to technology where you know I think one of the old running stories is that the um, erotica and porn is like one of the first adopters totally. of any of these new technologies. Right, it, it grows in its own natural way, and it's very natural for bad actors to seize an opportunity because that's what they do. Their chances, right? Like they look at something and they go, "Okay, how can I make this work for me?" Um, and so sometimes you really have to push a lot of weight into the public goods, the public interest work, because it will benefit, um, but it has to get there in time. I, I, the example I would use as well is, again, it's sort of interesting talking to people because people will often go, well, that's, we can't do that because like we'll get sued, but this is okay. Um, and you go, you know, that line between good thing that we could do, but we would get sued for and good thing that we could do that would be fine is defined, right? Like that's not just come down from God. Um, So the example I use is Tor, right? Mm -hmm. So for those of you who don't know, Tor is something that protects your anonymity online. It lets you go to the Googles and the Amazons of the world and they don't know who you are. Um, there are obviously people who use Tor for, or just anonymity in general for bad things, but it's not the only thing that they use it for. And the Tor team spent a lot of time working on making sure that the good people got to, to use it. Yeah. So um, I, I think that, yeah. And I think that's something that we need to sort of concentrate in this space. Well, we're sort of running out of time, unfortunately. I know. So I, I, I just I flew mean, by. I know, I know. We could talk for hours, and you know what? We already have. Um, <laughs> in the, um, if people can go to the uh, How to Fix the Internet podcast, there are two series of you and me talking yep. to amazing people. And then uh, Jason took up the helm um, yep. uh, with you, and it still continues to be a great resource for 
finding out how to fix the internet. How do people get to it, Cindy? Um, just how to, it, it's on all of your podcast um, channels, whether that's Apple or Spotify or anything. So you can come to EFF's website if you don't want to deal with those centralized platforms and you can get it directly from us. Um, the The conceit of the podcast is, you know, what does the world look like if we get it right? Um, EFF spends a lot of time wallowing in all the ways that things are broken online. And um, I I have to admit, this was me. I intentionally made myself make a podcast that focuses on and gives us a vision for a better world. And and it's been fun. It's my excuse to get to talk to people uh, who, who are thinking that way. So. It's super inspiring. I found it very inspiring being on it and listening to all these people. It kind of inspired me to, uh, I'm sorry, but inspired me to move to to work more closely with all of those people. But, you know, we're still we're still buddies. We're all uh, we in the, it's all in the FF. same family. We, yeah. we, we, it's all love, love. I just miss you every day because I don't get to get, you know, I don't I don't have anybody going in my um, life anymore. Well, <laughs> Well, perhaps we should have you on more often, and it will be great to get uh, an update of how good, well things are going, rather than just the, the, the disasters <laughs> and the, the victories. In, in small Thanks parts. so much. All right. Thank you very much, Cindy. And thank Bye. you, everybody, for watching. <laughs>